Hi, I'm Justin Rosso, and welcome to this episode of the Next Step Podcast, where we help you take a next step. This is Season 4, Episode 10 of the Next Step Podcast, and it's also a Facebook Live reading uh, group. This We're reading this book, Delight, Discipleship as the Adventure of Loving and Being Loved. Tonight we will be reading the second half of Chapter 8, I Am My Beloved's and My Beloved is Mine. Uh, I told you last night that both Miriam's great aunt Elva and our daughter Naomi had surgeries uh, on the docket and Elva had fallen and needed some work done on her hip replacement. She's come through that well. We're thankful for that. Uh, she's 94, 96, something like that. So um, Miriam's mom Joni is up with Aunt Elva right now and we're glad she's doing a little bit better. Elva, we're expecting you to be tuning into some of these as well so we want you to know that you're in our thoughts and we're praying for you and, and go get them. Um, th thank you Jesus that he's with you and supporting you in this. And then my daughter Naomi had her four wisdom teeth removed this morning so that's what I spend a chunk of my day doing today and that was an honor to be with her and to help her get ready and to be with her as she came out of general anesthetic and got to talk about life, the universe and everything. Uh, but now she's doing okay. She's swollen, of course, and a little bit sore and still has some tingling in, in one of her cheeks, but she's doing just fine. So it'll be a few days of recovery for her, but she's doing well. So thank you for your concerns and your prayers. I appreciate that, this kind of community that we're in, that we can share that with each other. It has been a really nice day today. It's gotten cooler up here in Michigan, as you can tell. I'm wearing a little bit of a hoodie sweatshirt. Uh, and it was sunny today, but cool. It's been raining for the last three or four days. The leaves have really turned color and are really quite spectacular. We've gotten some of the, you know, the dark gray clouds in the sky, but bright sunshine at the same time that lights up the colors in the leaves and, and uh, really sets it off with the dark gray. So there's been some beautiful trips in the car lately. That's been wonderful to see. <clears throat> uh, today... We're reading the second half of chapter eight, and I'm uh, the the section called "The Groom with his, the Groom's quote." There is no flaw in you is on page one nineteen. That's where we want to start tonight's reading. But I want to back up just a couple paragraphs to the middle of page one eighteen as we start our reading tonight. <clears throat> my faith doesn't depend on my emotions, and my emotions are part of my faith. That's why I want to explore this intimate delight a little more before we move on. I believe that Jesus does love you intimately and personally and playfully. I believe it is good news that you don't have to manufacture an emotional response to that love. What's more, I also believe that your emotional response is part of your relationship with Jesus. You don't have to feel giddy about it all the time. And more and more, as you get to know Jesus better and better, as the Spirit shapes and molds you, you just might have more of an emotional experience of your faith. In fact, I think you will experience the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. But don't chase the experience. Chase the relationship. The bride in the Song of Solomon says with confidence, I am my beloved's and my beloved is mine. I want that confidence, and I want that confidence for you, too. 
To help get us there, let's look at what the groom says to the bride and some of the reasons we have trouble hearing that statement of delight from Jesus. <clears throat> the groom, there is no flaw in you. At the beginning of the Song of Solomon, chapter 4, the groom says to the bride, How beautiful you are, my darling! Oh, how beautiful! From there, he extols in graphic detail her eyes, her hair, her teeth, her lips, her temples, her neck. You get the idea. The list could go on and does, but we're trying to keep it PG-13 around here. After a wonderfully exhaustive inspection, the groom gives this verdict. You are altogether beautiful, my darling. There is no flaw in you. That's Song of Solomon 4, verse 7. What a beautiful expression of delight. And that comprehensive delight gives me a window into what Jesus thinks about me. A single sheep worth saving, a pearl of immeasurable price. I don't know about you, but when I imagine Jesus saying something to me personally like, you are altogether beautiful, my darling, there is no flaw in you, I run into a problem. My immediate knee-jerk response to that expression of divine delight is usually, yeah, right. I mean, come on, Jesus. I know what my week has been like. I know the sin and the failure and the doubt and the shame that still cling to me. When I am not disappointed or disgusted with my own lack of faith or faithfulness, I'm probably either ignoring it entirely or feeling kind of self-satisfied. As David said, I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. As Isaiah pointed out, all our righteous acts are like filthy rags. Jesus says he delights in me, but I know myself too well to think I'm beautiful. It's funny how your own self-evaluation affects how you receive love from other people. When my wife gets all gussied up for a night on the town and her makeup is just right and she's had her hair done and she's wearing that new outfit because we're going on a date and I say to her, girl, you look good. She says with a smile and a wink, yeah, I know. <laughs> when I tell her, you are beautiful, my darling, you are altogether beautiful and she feels beautiful, she can accept that compliment from me and sometimes even return it. But if it's been a long week, and she hasn't showered in a couple of days, and she's got on some grubby sweats, and her hair is pulled back, and she's wearing no makeup at all, and I say, honey, you are hot. She just rolls her eyes at me and goes back to folding laundry. I think sometimes she thinks I'm just being a boy, and boys will say anything. I mean, she's not wrong. <clears throat> But I also think that she doesn't quite understand how she can be drop-dead gorgeous, even when she's wearing sweatpants and a sweatshirt and hasn't washed her hair in three days and isn't wearing any makeup. She doesn't believe I can find her absolutely lovely. Sometimes she just doesn't get how beautiful she is and how beautiful she is to me. I wonder if that's what happens in my relationship with Jesus. 
Jesus says, You are altogether beautiful, my darling. There is no flaw in you. And it's natural for me to say, Yeah, but I haven't washed my hair in three days, and I'm wearing grubby sweatpants, and I don't have on any makeup. I know the reality of my sin. I know my weak and my weaknesses. I know I'm anything but altogether beautiful. There are days when I don't know why anyone would even like me, let alone want to be with me. There are days when I don't like being with me myself. I'm sure I could give you a hundred examples of times when I don't like being me, of times when my own sin makes me disgusted with myself. And maybe you could give me a hundred examples of the kinds of things that make you ashamed to be you. But here's one example, a rather safe but revealing example, an ordinary example of my, from my ordinary life of the brokenness that infects my heart and my relationships. I sat down with a dear friend of mine to have an important conversation about our direction and our future as a congregation. I knew it was an important conversation and had the potential to be a difficult topic, so I told myself ahead of time that I wasn't going to respond in anger or frustration. I didn't want my personal feelings to leak out onto my friend because I knew the situation could legitimately be seen from more than one perspective, and anyway, none of it was my friend's fault. This is my good friend. None of this is his fault. I told myself I wasn't going to let my anger or frustration damage our relationship, but that's exactly what I did. I told myself I wasn't going to do it before I did it. I knew what I was doing while I was doing it, and afterwards I knew I shouldn't have done it. I remember thinking, yeah, that wasn't great. Maybe I should apologize to him. But then I just figured the next time I saw him, I'd make sure it wasn't a big deal. I thought I'd just let it blow over. Truth is, I didn't really want to deal with it, because dealing with it meant admitting to myself, which is hard, and admitting to Jesus which is easy, and to my friend, that's the hardest, that I am a stinking sinner. So I just ignored my actions and told myself I had every right to be a little testy. <clears throat> that's the kind of stupidity and frailty and fear that drives me crazy. I walked right into a trap I set for myself. I hurt someone I care about, and then I convinced myself it wasn't really that bad. And Jesus says, you are altogether beautiful, my darling. There is no flaw in you. And I want to say, who are you looking at, Jesus? Because I know it's not me. In one sense, I'm right. And in one sense, I know and you know that even though we are redeemed, even though we are baptized, even though we are part of God's family, even though we are forgiven and covered and made holy, even though all that is true of us, it's also true that as long as we still live in this broken and sinful world, we bring our brokenness and our sinfulness to this world too. In that very real sense, Isaiah 64 is true of you and me. Even on our best days, even on our best behavior, even our most righteous acts are like filthy rags. But that's not the whole story. That's not the only real perspective. That's not the only truth true of you and me, even now. 
Isaiah 64 may describe our present reality, but so does Isaiah 62. You remember Isaiah 62 from chapter 5, Desirable Delight? Maybe you remember the desirable light word we used. It was kephets, C-H-E pronounced K. Kephets, delight, pleasure, desire, longing in Hebrew. Isaiah 62 verse 4 says, you shall no 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 more be <clears throat> you shall no more be termed forsaken and your land shall no more be termed desolate <clears throat> but you shall be called my delight kephets is in her and your land married for the lord delights kephets in you and your land shall be married and your land shall be married Isaiah 62 is a promise already fulfilled in Jesus. And that promise is going to be fulfilled completely and without remainder when Jesus comes again. Already now, Isaiah 62 is true of you. And Isaiah 62 will be finally and ultimately true of you when Jesus returns in glory. Now Isaiah 62 is yours by faith. Then Isaiah 62 will be yours by sight. Already now God declares his kephets over you. Already now you are a desirable delight that makes Jesus say, yes, please. Already now God declares divine Seuss over you, like Dr. Seuss. You're a joyful delight that makes Jesus go, woohoo! Seuss in Hebrew, exult, rejoice, take delight in, make mirth, be glad. Just look at the next verse in Isaiah 62. And the bride, as the bridegroom rejoices over the bride, Seuss, so shall your God rejoice, Seuss, over you. Isaiah is using the same wedding imagery we find in the Song of Songs. God's people receive a new name. My delight is in her. The land of promise is now a land called married. The Almighty God finds you delightfully desirable and wants your present and your future the way a groom delights in and longs for his bride. The same rejoicing, mirth, celebration, and delight that belongs to a wedding feast define your relationship with Jesus. Jesus looks at you, jumps up, spins around, and sings his happy song. Jesus is head over heels in love with you. And Jesus loves being in love with you. Your relationship with Jesus brings Jesus joy. The next section is called The Confidence of the Bride. When Jesus says to you, you are altogether beautiful, my darling, there is no flaw in you. He actually means it. What Jesus says, Jesus intends you to believe. Jesus expresses his love to you so you can receive his delight and then return his delight. Jesus wants you to experience a relationship with him defined by a spirit-led, yes, please, and punctuated by a spirit-given, woohoo! Of course, you aren't altogether beautiful in the same way you will be in the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Of course, you are not yet without flaw in the complete sense of the promise that will be yours on the last day. Of course, you are still a sinner 
but that's not what Jesus is talking about right now. Jesus wants you to know how completely, how thoroughly, how over-the-top wonderful he thinks you are. Jesus thinks you are awesome. Jesus absolutely loves being in a relationship with you. You bring Jesus joy. And don't give me any, I haven't washed my hair in three days and I'm only wearing grubby sweatpants excuses. Your self-evaluation or the unrealistic standard you have in mind does not get to overturn the verdict of Jesus' delight. Of course you aren't perfect, but that's not what we're talking about right now. Real contrition, real sorrow over your sin, real repentance and forgiveness all have a place in the life of faith. You need to know you're a sinner, and you need Jesus to deal with your sin and you need to know that you are altogether beautiful, that you are a delight, that you are loved and cherished and celebrated like a bride on her wedding day. You. You make Jesus smile and laugh and dance and sing for joy. You can have confidence in that promise even when you feel less than beautiful. The groom says, you are altogether beautiful, my darling. There is no flaw in you. And the bride says, I am my beloved's and his desire is for me. The two go together. In fact, you can't have the one without the other. The bride is not boasting about her good looks. The bride isn't making a statement about how objectively appealing she is or how much all men everywhere find her attractive. There's only one man, one opinion she cares about, and because she is confident of his love and his delight, she can say with confidence, I am my beloved's and his desire is for me. Because she trusts his love, she can say, I am my beloved's, and my beloved is mine. Do you see the confidence, the freedom that comes from actually believing Jesus when he says to you, you are altogether beautiful, my darling? I don't have to pretend to be perfect. I don't have to hide my sin. I don't have to make sure I never go out of the house without my hair done up just right, dressed to the nines with a professional makeup job to make me shine. Talk about putting lipstick on a pig. I don't have to make myself look like a perfect version of myself so Jesus will love me. He already thinks I am altogether beautiful. And he wants me to believe that. With confidence that Jesus already thinks I am awesome. I don't have to cover up my failures or sins. I don't have to justify my actions. Why do I need to look perfect all the time? My beloved already thinks I am delightful. That confidence has real life consequences. Remember the kind of week I'm having? Remember the friend whose toes I stepped on even after I told myself I wasn't going to and then knew it while I was doing it and then chose to ignore it after it happened? Yeah, not so awesome. That friend sent me an email a couple days later. 
he shared some of the hurt I had caused. He pointed out something I knew was wrong, but wanted to ignore. He pointed to my sin and to the brokenness I had caused. At that point, I have a couple of options. If I feel like I have to be perfect so other people will like me, and above all, God will think I'm okay, or at least better than some other people I could mention, if I have to have my makeup just right and my hair styled so I can feel good about myself, then I cannot afford to let this guy make me look like a jerk. I'm obligated to point out the circumstances that led up to this conversation, circumstances that were, by the way, at least partially his fault. I have to demonstrate how my response was natural and reasonable uh, compared to other people, and considering how much I've put up with the failures and dysfunctions of people around me, my actions were not only understandable, my actions were better than most other people. I must justify myself in my own eyes, even if he doesn't buy it, even if it causes further damage to our relationship, because I can't afford to look in the mirror or to imagine for one second that I might not be the amazing and godly person I am pretending so hard to be. That's one option. An option driven by fear and doubt and self-justification. Thankfully, that's not how it played out. If I am confident in this statement, I am my beloved's and his desire is for me, then I don't have to make sure I appear to be perfect. I already have all the attention and approval I need. I don't have to justify myself because I know my beloved justifies me and already now thinks I am beautiful. I have acted in less than delightful ways, but I have confidence that Jesus' delight is not fickle, not dependent on how closely I can resemble a supermodel. Jesus quite simply loves me, the real me, not some made-up version of me, just me. So when I get an email from a friend that points out my failure, my selfishness, my hurtful words, my sin, I don't have to panic. Confident that Jesus already loves me and that I don't have to make myself look perfect, I can respond differently. I don't have to excuse or justify. I can use a simple formula. I think I first learned from Tim Timmons. I was wrong, I'm sorry, and I love you. I was wrong, I'm sorry, and I love you. That's what I emailed back to my friend. Because I am my beloved's and my beloved is mine, I don't have to pretend. I can be me, the real me, the real me who messes up, the real me who is forgiven, the real me, the one Jesus thinks is altogether beautiful. The bride's confidence doesn't come from what everyone at the banquet feast thinks of her. The bride's confidence doesn't come from her own evaluation of her dress or her hair. The bride's confidence comes from the promise of the groom. Because he says and believes, you are altogether beautiful, my darling. She can believe it too. That confidence gives her the right to boast, I am my beloved's, and his desire 
is for me. Jesus says to you, and he actually means it. He actually believes it. He actually wants you to believe it. You. You are beautiful, my darling. You are altogether beautiful. Love those words. Well, we are almost done, but I think that takes us almost to time here, and then we can uh, we can finish up the the chapter tomorrow night. Uh, uh, tomorrow we get to talk about the friends. The friends say this: "We will seek him with you." That's a, an important part. Uh, last night we talked a little bit about how salvation is both individual, like the individual sheep, but also communal. Yahweh can also gather his sheep as one flock. Uh, so we are always saved as and into a community. And then we're also individually loved. So tonight was a little bit about that in individual perspective. And tomorrow night we get to look again at kind of our relationships. And next at press we say, we always we follow Jesus better when we follow him together. And that's that's really true. That gets to come out as a part of our conversation tomorrow as well. So there's some things that you could do as a part of this community. Make sure you're you're liking or following uh, the next step, uh, the next step press community, the next step community on Facebook. Uh, if you'd like to become a next step patron or check that out. Uh, some of you have already become patrons at $3 a month or $10 a month or $25 a month or more. Thank you for that support. That's a part of us all being kind of in this adventure together. And I really, really appreciate that. There's a link in the description. You can check that out as well. I pointed you to Andrew Peterson. He's reading again at 8 o'clock tonight. So that's why we bumped our time an hour earlier to 7 so that I can watch that with my family. My family is important to me and we're watching Andrew Peterson. I invite you to join us in that adventure as well. Uh, and then I also, in the description tonight, I, I assume you've already gotten a book by now. We're well into it, and, and if you've liked it at all, I, I expect you've purchased a book. If you haven't, you can still do that. Uh, I still want it on one of your Christmas lists. I'd love to see you give this book to somebody else for Christmas. That would make me happy. Uh, but there's also a link on there for an Amazon review. So if you've enjoyed the book, if you think it's, it's something you would share with other people, if you think you would give it a five-star review, there's a link in this uh, Facebook description. You can go... You can uh, just, it takes just a second to log into Amazon and, and give it five stars. And if you want to say a word or two, that would be wonderful as well. All of that helps kind of promote this book and, and what Next Step Press is doing. We want to help cultivate individuals and communities that are self-sustaining in this, it, this next step following of Jesus. We want to infuse collaboration and innovation and delight into the adventure of following Jesus. And you get to be a part of that. So thank you. Thanks for joining us for this podcast. Thanks for joining us for this Facebook Live video. And, and I'm excited to see, uh, see you again tomorrow night and see where Jesus takes us next. We'll see you next time at Next Step Press.